We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church.
declare that with our God, there's nothing that is impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Yeah. 
it's all, there's no shadow. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow, there's no shadow. as we are, but because we find our identity in you. Pray that even as we continue in our gathering today, that you would help that to sink in. That we would truly, truly respond to you as your children. We pray this in the power and the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh my. Oh my, um, if, you, if you are new with us today, thank you so much for coming. I, I hope that 
um, when um, you see us love on these kids in the Word of God that you get as much out of it as I do and we do who are part of the church family. So if you're new with us, thank you so much for coming. Um, in the chair right in front of you, there should be a little card like this. Um, and we would be so honored if you would just take a moment uh, and fill this out for us. And then at the conclusion of the service of our time together, if you would just take that out um, and there's a little uh, table or bar to the right as you walk out those doors, if you would simply hand it to the person behind that counter or just set it there, we'll have someone pick it up later. But we'd love to have a uh, a record of your time with us so that we can begin a friendship with you. If you are new with us, my name is Danny Panter. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I have the privilege of, of helping lead and preach in this worship gathering that is one of other worship gatherings in our church family. So, so thank you so much for coming. Let's stand together. We're going to read Colossians 2, 18 through 15. Here we go. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You may be seated may be seated. Uh, I hope that you are faithfully following along in your weekly reading of Colossians. That was my challenge to you when we began reading this letter together. Again, I said it's not much. It's only four chapters. And so hopefully you are every week uh, in Colossians, rereading Colossians. And so this week we find ourselves again where Paul is really trying to encourage this church he loves this church. He loves them as if they were his very own grandchildren. He wants to protect them, draw near to them, give them words of wisdom. But can we just take a moment and acknowledge the culture and environment that Paul is speaking into? Let's just acknowledge not only a culture back then, but a culture today that there is a barrage of empty philosophy that holds our culture captive and even holds us captive and holds our families captive. It is just a swarm around us. Paul says these philosophies are rooted in human tradition 
and the elemental spirits of the world. By human tradition, he simply means we have made everything about our life to revolve around us. Human tradition means humanity-centered, not about God, not listening to God, not waiting on God, but we have made everything about us and our own egos. And he also says, and it's also about the elemental spirits of this world that kind of undergirds and supports human tradition, our man centrality, the centrality of man. And so he would say those elemental spirits are very real spiritual powers and authorities that are at war against us. And he would say, those are the things that I really want to protect you from. I want, you to, I want to warn you against those human traditions and empty philosophies that are supported and pressed into us by spiritual powers that want to hold us captive. Spiritual warfare. He says the enemy desires to hold us captive. The enemy desires to hold our families captive. The enemy desires to hold our young people captive. Captive teenagers, children, there's nothing new here. This has been the case even from the very beginning. The moment uh, that the serpent entered the garden to deceive or twist the truths of God to Adam and Eve, there has been this war, a movement afoot to draw those who are made in the image of God away from relationship with God in, into destruction. The only difference, perhaps, is the volume of the deceit and the increased isolation. So even though we can feel in some ways more and more connected, mainly through technology, what we're discovering in our culture that many of us still feel very much alone and isolated. It's kind of like 10,000 salmon swimming upstream. Have you ever seen that image before? This image of just, uh, just a river that is just full of salmon trying to make their way to a particular location. And you can't tell one from the other. They're just literally on top of each other, jumping out of the river and back into the river. That's what this barrage feels like. Opinions and beliefs and demands and people and ideas all around us pressing up into us. And just to click away, we might be able to feel connected with others, but the reality is, we can never feel more isolated and alone than perhaps we are today. And it's in these moments that we are most prone to believe that the lies are the lies that are spun around us. And so Paul says, oh, don't believe these lies, children of God. How can I encourage you not to believe in the lies and deceit that is swarming around you all the time in your isolation? The psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, he says, The righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. And so last week, Paul wanted to encourage us in the midst of a world like the one I just described by saying, I want you to dig your roots deep into Jesus. I want you to grow up in Jesus so that you can be like that righteous man in Psalm chapter one, to have a mature faith with each other's help. Remember, I want you to be knitted 
uh, together in love so that you can help each other grow up in Jesus. And it's then that you would be able to measure and tell the difference between the lies that are spun around us and the truth that is Jesus and the gospel. He says, I want you to grow up, mature in your faith. But he turns a corner, he, he approaches it in just a different way, obviously very connected with how he talked about it last week, but he provides us a new perspective. So this week, he teaches the, the Colossians and us that we have to remember our identity in Jesus, who we are in Christ. And Paul is convinced that if we would just realize who we are in Jesus, that we would be able to freely withstand the temptation and the lies and the deceit, because in our conviction of who we are in Christ, we would be able to say, you have no hold on me. So that's where he wants us to go this week, is to point us back to what Jesus has done for us in his life and in his death and the resurrection, his victory over sin and death. He says, I want you to know who you are now in Jesus. I want to get you back to your truest identity in Jesus so that you could withstand the attacks of the elemental powers of this world. That's where we're headed. It's a message we all need, isn't it? We need to know who we are in Christ. And so in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, Paul really spends his time talking about that identity. Let me just remind you that Paul is brilliant when it comes to metaphors. He uses metaphors throughout all of his teaching. It's no different here, especially when he starts talking about identity. He's going to use three primary metaphors. We're going to walk through each one of those. And so he is saying, when we are in Jesus. Now, that's what it tells us and reminds us in verse 10 of chapter 2. I'm just going to read it once again, just to remind you. In him, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In him. He says it over and over again, reminding us that when we put our faith in Christ, we are in him and he is in us. And remember back in uh, chapter 1, verse 19, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And that very same Jesus, who is indwelt by the very fullness of God, is now in us as followers of Christ. And Paul is about to say that your identity is being reshaped because the reality that the Son is now in you, which is an incredible thought. Christ in us changes everything. That because of the fullness of God in us through Christ, there are significant changes to our identity. And not just superficial changes, not just the clothes that we wear or how we look on the outside, but Paul is saying when Christ is in us, when we receive Jesus in faith, there are fundamental changes in the core of who we are our spiritual DNA, so to speak. And that's what Paul is gonna be talking about. And so this, this first metaphor is in Colossians 2, 11. Paul writes this, in him, again, just like the one I read, in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
In the ancient Hebrew world, circumcision was an outward symbol of belonging to and being committed to God. It was a sign of acceptance by God that he was for them and they were for God. He was their God and they were to be his people. Circumcision was that external sign. And yet, again, circumcision was only an external sign. It wasn't necessarily an inward reality. But circumcision back then also points to a reality that Jesus has made possible in us, that those who are in Jesus by faith have not just been symbolically changed on the exterior, but have fundamentally been changed to their core, and not by any work of their own, but by the work of the Son, Jesus. Paul is saying, I want you to know, and you can follow along with this in your worship folder, that in Jesus, you are fully accepted by God. That you no longer belong to the traditions of this world. You no longer belong to broken systems. You no longer belong to unrighteousness. But now you belong very much into the family of God. You are fully accepted by God, and not by any work of your own, but by the work of Jesus. You didn't have to prove yourself or add up a series of accomplishments that you, through Christ, in Christ, belong to him. You are fully accepted. In a world where everyone is desperate for belonging, waiting for belonging, hoping to be noticed, Jesus says you never have to wonder who you belong to in Christ. If you're in me by faith, you never have to wonder who you belong to or who accepts you. God calls you accepted. He calls you son and daughter. Just like the song that we have sung, he gives us a brand new name and he says, you are mine. You belong to me. Not in the sense of ownership, although that is partly true too. He paid a price we could not pay, but, but because we're part of his kingdom and his family, he says, you're fully accepted. We often tell our daughters that our family, by God's design, is to be the safest place for them. That there is no condemnation or judgment in our family. When there is drama at school or pressures insisting that they take on certain beliefs or certain opinions, uh, otherwise they're not accepted or they're pressured to wear this or say this or do this or believe this, I feel like you aren't good enough or that you're everybody's second choice, that we tell them, know that there is a safe place among a safe people, your family. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating to the Colossians and also to us now. That when the world asserts itself on you and says that you can only belong if you adopt what we believe and what we think, or if the world demands that you change to accommodate empty philosophies and deceit, and the pressure is real. We know the pressure's real. But when the world makes those kinds of demands, Paul tells us that with confidence we can declare, I'm already accepted. I already belong. I already have a family. I am a part of the family of God. And not because I had to prove myself, because Jesus did all the proving for me. 
He did the work. That's what he's saying to us. Can I just remind you that in Christ you are fully accepted by God? That you bear his marks, his name? And not because of something you did, but because something if he did. He did it. Remember that moment when Jesus was baptized. Matthew chapter 3, 17. The word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and everyone heard the voice, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. That's what Paul means. Paul says, I want you to know your truest identity in Jesus. That when Jesus looks upon you, when the Father looks upon you, and a world swarming with demands and condemnation and expectation to adopt what they want us to adopt, the Father says, you are my son, you're my daughter, and I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. That's us, right? That's you, that's you and Jesus, fully accepted. The next metaphor or analogy that Jesus used, uh, Paul uses to try to really help us understand our identity in Christ. So first he says, not only are you fully accepted by Jesus, but you also are a brand new creation. Colossians 2 verses 12 through 13 says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, and the powerful working of God. Now remember, this is Paul reminding us, again, this is not some work that you're doing here. Uh, your identity is not shaped and changed into the image of God or being called a son or daughter of God because of a work that you've accomplished, but by the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh pointing back to that unrighteous kingdom that we were a part of, that is shed when we are in Christ. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So Paul first used that metaphor of circumcision. Now he's using the metaphor of baptism to help us understand our new identity. Baptism, we know, is that picture of death, burial, and resurrection. That's the picture that baptism paints for us. That's why we believe in immersion, because it's that picture of death and burial and resurrection. It's that picture that acknowledges that a very present reality in my current condition, apart from Jesus, that I am dead. I'm broken. I can't get out of this deadness, this participation in this unrighteous kingdom. So it points to a very present reality, but also points to a new reality in Jesus through the powerful work of God that we no longer are a part of that old identity of our deadness and our trespasses, but it points to a new identity, new life. That's what Paul's saying. He says, not only are you fully accepted by God, you're a son and daughter, but also... You are brand new. The old has gone, the new has come. 
But what once was just an outward symbol, and even today is just an outward symbol, in Jesus is a very real inner reality. And let me just remind you that that old you is not just choices that you make. When Paul talks about being buried in baptism, he talks about the very core of who you are. It's very broken. You can't bear good fruit. You're not just a part of an unrighteous kingdom. You are an unrighteous kingdom unto yourself. All you bear is bad, ugly, dying fruit. That's what Paul wants to say. But in Jesus, he says that's all put to death. And the very core of who you are is no longer enslaved to that deadness. But you have brand new life to live in a brand new way. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. He says, your identity is no longer defined by your sin or brokenness or deadness, but by Jesus's resurrected life, victory over sin and death. He says, you're not broken anymore. I'm working in you new life, new life. Jesus in Revelation says this, behold, I make all things new. And that's what he's saying. That's what Paul is saying here. Colossians, church and First Baptist, can I remain, remind you that Jesus is making you new. You're not defined by your brokenness anymore. You're defined by the resurrected life of Jesus. The last metaphor that he uses, Colossians 2.14, it says, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So not only are you fully accepted by God, not only are you a new creation in Jesus, but Paul says you are debt free. I don't know in what time in history would a people get that more than people today, riddled with debt all over. Our country riddled with debt. And Jesus says, you are debt free. And obviously we know that um, Paul's not talking in the I owe lots of money kind of way, but in the I owe a monstrosity of debt to God and to society for my sinful behavior. That I have accrued an infinite amount of debt. And if you could quantify it, it would indeed make the national debt look small. We don't always see our sin that way. Uh, we rationalize our sin. It's just this, it's just that. But let me remind you that when we sin against a holy God, we accrue an infinitely unholy debt. Let me say that again. When we sin against an infinitely holy God, we accrue for ourselves an infinitely unholy debt. But what does Paul say about that debt? That when we are in Christ, when you have put your faith in Jesus, when you look to Jesus as the Son of God who has been sent by the Father, who paid the penalty for your debt, he paid that monstrosity of debt. The scripture says that the Father set it aside. He took that infinite, unholy, just mess, moldy mess of a debt from our sin. He sets it aside, 
and he nails it to the cross. And so Paul says that in Christ, in your faith in Christ, the cross, Jesus, when he died, he paid your penalty, he paid all of that debt, and when he rose from the grave with new life, you were and are debt free. Paul says, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that. Man. So what does identity have to do with authority? Now notice, let me just back up. At the very beginning of this passage, he says, In verse 9 and 10, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, remember, who is the head of all rule and authority. Then he finishes this in verse 15. Catch this. Jesus, he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ, in him. When Paul is trying to teach us about our identity, he does so so that we can see and understand that the supposed authorities in our world have no authority over us. No authority over us. That Jesus has authority over them and puts them to shame. Romans 8:31, listen to this. This is exactly what Paul is saying to them. If God is for you, who can stand against you? And if we would say it through the lens of Colossians, he would say, if God is for you, who even has the authority to stand against you? Nobody. No worldly idea or belief or philosophy or group of people or demands has authority over you as a son or daughter of God. In fact, Jesus has put them to shame. Put them to shame. Culture and traditions of men no longer can make demands of you, was what Paul says. Your flesh no longer has authority over you. Your flesh can no longer say, Danny, you have to do this because this is the way you're wired. In Christ, the gospel tells us in, in a very real kind of way that we can stand up against the temptations of the flesh and in Christ and say, I don't belong to you anymore. You are who I, I'm not you anymore. Paul says, let me remind you of that. And your past no longer condemns you because your debt has been paid in full, now and forevermore. Some of you wrestle with past sin in your life and you hold on to it, trying to repay God which is futile, by the way. You can never repay God. That's not why we, we don't serve God because we try to repay him. Paul says, can I remind you that you don't have to hold on to sin anymore because your debt has been paid. What does all this mean? What does Paul want them to do? Paul is saying to them and to us, be free. Live freely. Live free 
in your truest identity without shame or fear. Um, you might know this already, but um, Asian elephants are the only elephants that can actually be trained um, to do work. African elephants are really untamed. You can't do that with them. But Indian elephants, from very babies, uh, not too long after they're born, they'll take a little Indian elephant and they will um, tie a chain around his foot. I know it doesn't sound pleasant. And that other end of that chain to a very big tree. And no matter how hard that little elephant tries uh, to pull against that tree, against that chain, he can't do it. And as he grows up, the chain kind of remains. But over time, the elephant is trained that he is unable to unshackle himself. And so by the time this elephant is a multi-ton, powerful animal who can rip trees out of the ground. By the way, I've seen what it looks like when elephants rip trees out of the ground. When we were in Kenya, when you go to a place where elephants have been, almost every tree has been literally just ripped up out of the ground. And the land has been decimated like toothpicks. But by the time this little elephant has been trained that he can't pull himself away from this tree, by the time they're adult, all they need is a, a small little piece of rope against a little tree, and that elephant will not budge, convinced that they can't do nothing but remain shackled to that tree. And all it would take would be for them to barely move, and they would be free. What's true of that grown, working elephant, I think, is why Paul feels like he needs to remind the Colossians, and even more so, remind us that there is nothing in this world that has authority over you anymore. There's nothing keeping you from living the life I have made you to live. So quit living like you're shackled to sin and shackled to the demands of this world and quit living as if you have to please everybody in the world knowing that you've already been accepted by God, that you've already been freed of the bondage of your sin and you no longer care any debt anymore. Paul says, live free. And so the next time your peer at school or groups of peers, and they might not even know of it of themselves, that they start pressing you and demanding you to believe and do and be a certain thing, we can in confidence say, no, I am free of that. I already belong to the family of God. I don't have to prove myself. And when your flesh demands of you that you have to behave a certain way, we speak back to the temptations of the flesh and we say, no, I am free in Christ. Jesus has set me free from the bondage of sin and death so that I can choose righteousness over sin. And when the enemy, enemy will remind you of your past and things that you've done and things that you have said, you can say with confidence, I'm free of that. I'm free of that because Jesus has forgiven my debt. That's good news. That's good news for all of us. One of the reasons that we observe the Lord's Supper as we are in a moment is because partaking in the Lord's Supper, remembering 
what Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection is a reminder of who we are now in Jesus. That through his death, that our penalty of sin and debt of sin has been paid. And in his new life, we are brand new. That we are his sons and daughters of a living God. And so we have that privilege of remembering that right now. Um, so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to do what we've been doing for the past several weeks. But let me just remind you of a few things. We are going to worshipfully go through some verses of Scripture together, back and forth with one another, reminding ourselves why we do this as an act of worship. But um, at the conclusion of that time, that I'm going to invite the deacons forward, and then they're going to go to their stations, and we're going to pray. And at the conclusion of my prayer, um, then when you are ready... When you are ready, what I mean by that is that you actually can take a few moments where you are just to pray, just to, and pray with your family, quietly or out loud. But at that conclusion of that prayer, I'm going to release you, and when you're ready, I want you, if you're with a family, to lead your family to the closest um, station where uh, two deacons will be, and I want you to take that bread and that cup. Now, after you receive the bread and the cup, I want you to walk back together as a family or as an individual where you are sitting. I'm not gonna tell you when to take the elements. I, I want you, when you're ready, to take the bread, be thankful for the broken body of Jesus. And when you're ready uh, with your family, I want you to drink the cup. No one's going to instruct you when to do it. You're going to be doing it on your own. Do you all understand? Good. So let's read these words together in exchange of words with one another. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. We abide in Jesus. Jesus, um, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus. 
deacons, if you would come forward as I pray. Jesus on the night that he was portrayed he took bread and he broke it and when after he had given thanks uh, he said to his disciples this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he also took the cup and after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance for me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to just remember a real historical work that your son did on the cross and the resurrection. Thank you for helping us to remember that we are brand new in Jesus because our sins have been forgiven. Our debt has been paid and that we now belong to you. We are yours in new life. For that we rejoice, for that we say thank you. And all God's people said amen. Take some moments as these men get situated to pray, to prepare yourself for the taking of these elements to remember what Christ has done. But let me also challenge you as you're led to do this this whole time is a time of response. Our altar continues to be open if you want to come pray here, but it may be that God leads you to go meet with someone across the room and pray with them. Can I say that's okay too? If God leads you, would you feel the freedom to go pray with someone? You can go now.
power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, why should I Oh, 
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.